world season four has not yet started but we're just getting started here on post show recaps it's the welcome to westworld podcast here on post show recaps guiding you through all things westworld the hbo series from jonah nolan and lisa joy all about robots the robot apocalypse it is upon us here as season four of this show is just around the corner. June 26th is the premiere. We are going to have podcasts for you for each and every episode of this ridiculous series. And of course, this may be the first podcast that you're hearing from Post Show Recaps about Westworld in a good little minute, though it is not the first podcast about Westworld we've done in a good little minute. We have done rewatches of seasons one through three, but this is our kickoff into season four to talk about the new season in particular. I am Josh Wiggler. Normally joined here by Joe Garfine. She is unavailable for this episode of the podcast. So we have a third host to bring online. Mike Bloom, boot up. Yes, here I am. I'm the Caleb Nichols and that I showed up a bit late and I have uh, just as good hair as he does in season four. If anyone's checked out the promotional material, uh, they told him at the end of season three, he's able to make a choice. And evidently that choice means maybe not such a great hairstyle. He's, you could be whoever you want to be. And that includes like big ferocious beard. I feel like from uh, Aaron Paul for season four, it looks like. Yeah, I think Bernard's going to see him and say, I see you copied my beard. Uh-huh. Yeah, is that is that what Bernard says? That's that's Thor Bernard. Oh. Thornard. <laughs> Thornard? And then oh Estop is like, wait a minute, you're really familiar. I don't know why, but like, just... <laughs> something tells me we should be related. Oh, my God. All right, Mike, we are here to kick off our coverage of season four of Westworld. Of course, as I mentioned, we have gone back. We have watched seasons one through three. We've got podcasts in the feed. If anybody is looking for a little bit of an extra kicker but here we wanted to focus specifically on season four yes and i would encourage people like if you have some hours to spend between now and sunday i very much encourage it this is something that we've gotten into the habit of with a number of shows recently on post show recaps but like westworld more than most is so convoluted and complicated with its plots that you're really going to need the refresher unless you've rewatched the series recently so Check it out. Give yourselves a refresher. We will do like as much of a bite-sized take, I think, as we can about season three, especially leaning into season four. But it's been a really fun time. We talked about this on the season three podcast, Josh. Uh, we had a great time watching these 28 episodes, getting ourselves reacquainted with the hosts, with the humans, and especially preparing ourselves for whatever the heck is to come out of the next eight weeks. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. So we are once again talking about an eight-episode season of Westworld. First two seasons were 10 episodes apiece. Season three was eight. Season four shall follow suit as well, as it's going to kick off on June 26th, and it's going to take us through August 14th. It's the summer of Westworld uh, before we return to Westeros World mm -hmm. uh, with House of the Dragon popping off a week after Westworld goes offline. Um, my summer plans have certainly solidified, Mike. Oh, definitively. Uh, we are booked <laughs> and blessed for the next little while. Like, I'm spending my time on not TV. I really do hope that the post credit scene in the season four finale is, you know, this dragon flies its way out of Westeros world and lands like on Matt Smith's shoulder. And that takes us directly into the backdoor pilot of House of the Dragon. Oh my God. All right. So for this podcast, we are going to be getting into what we do know about season four. We want to also quickly recap what has happened before in Westworld. Like for anyone who doesn't have time to go back and listen to those podcasts, that certainly means you probably don't have time to go back and rewatch uh, 28 episodes of television between now and the season four premiere mirror so we want to set the deck for you so that you don't just wander into season four kind of like lost and confused so with that said two things one this is a podcast that's going to contain all plot information through season three plus we'll talk about casting for season four trailers for season four all of that is relevant to bring into the discussion so make sure you're up to date on all of that stuff or that you're cool with this preview material being brought into this podcast then the other thing that I would say, and this is more of a question, Mike, I feel like a lot of, I, I don't know if I'm spending a lot of energy thinking that this might be a question that we'll get, but I feel like it's worth answering anyway. Do you think that Westworld's the kind of show that you could just wander into in the start of season four and just pick it up without having seen the first three seasons of the show? Or would you tell those people that they probably should at least read a Wikipedia page? Oh, you sweet, sweet summer children that are indeed asking that question. 
absolutely watch this show from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, this is not something you can stumble into. You will be incredibly confused. People who have watched this show and rewatched the show are still incredibly confused at some parts, including the very host that you are speaking right now. Uh, so I think that it is very much worth your while. It's a very well done show. So yeah, definitely check out Westworld. I would not say that season four is a good jumping off point. I apologize if I uh, responded so like aggressively with a laugh there when you brought it up, but like I seriously cannot imagine recommending this show to anybody to like, yeah, just walk in on season four. I think I'll be totally fine. Yeah, uh, so I would also recommend you go and re-familiarize yourselves with Westworld, or if you're like, oh, well, Westworld, now's the time. I'll just watch season four and see. I don't think that's going to work out. I I mean, I hope it's not going to work out because I'm invested in an ongoing story, and I want to see that story get pushed further. So, uh, you know, plenty of other shows out there uh, for this to be one that you're just kind of wandering into feels like a major mistake. Mike, along the way here on these previous Westworld podcasts that we've done, we've been charting the journeys of all of these characters in granular detail, breaking them down beat by beat across the seasons. If we were to summarize what has happened in Westworld and probably like the most important salient points heading into season four, how would you do that? How would you break that down? Oh my God. I feel like Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy are just like awoken as if they feel a disturbance in the forest that someone's going to try to sum up their 28 episode puzzle box show in like uh, two minutes. That bad, right? There's just like a few timelines to track and a couple (laughs) of different actors who are playing like a couple of different characters. Like it's not so hard. Well, let me just go with the main beats. There's a park called Westworld that exists in a version of the future uh, takes place in the 2050s where rich people pay exorbitant amounts of money to go and F around with robots, sometimes quite literally where there is a park based in the old West where you can like spend a weekend. Uh, The hosts run on certain narratives or loops where they're just like, it's like being in a video game, right? Where like you go to NPCs and sometimes they might want to race you. Sometimes they might want to go on a bounty hunting mission with you. Sometimes you could just hang out and do drugs the entire time. But that's the entire onus of the park. Uh, the Westworld first season concentrates on the antics of the robots in the park, known as hosts, and its guests, as well as its staff. And mainly the big to-do is that over the course of season one, several of these robots are beginning to become self-actualized. They're starting to realize that things are amiss sort of like animatronics in Disney World, like gaining sentience and realize they've been doing like 400 shows a year until the end of time. They're starting to realize their narrative. They're starting to look at like previous lives, previous loops that they have undergone. And they eventually start, you know, uh, moving towards this central plot and the center of a maze, in a manner of speaking, of consciousness. Uh, It is led mostly by a robot by the name of Dolores Abernathy, who starts off playing by Evan Rachel Wood as just a ho-hum, regular, degular farmer's daughter. But over the course of the season, we find out that she is the first host that was created for the park uh, and baked within her is really this, this idea of waking up and realizing who she is, what she is, and what she can do. Uh, that is also led along by uh, by Sir Anthony Hopkins as Robert Ford, who is one of the park's co-founders, as well as a character by the name of Bernard Weber, who is himself a host. He's a staff member who is also a robot that was created by Ford in the image of Arnold, Arnold Weber, uh, who was the late co-founder of Westworld, Ford's partner. He ends up really pushing Dolores towards that self-actualizing moment before having her kill him in order to like uh, use it as a failsafe to make sure that information doesn't leave her head. And indeed it doesn't, as by the end of season one, Dolores has woken up. Uh, she now hears her thoughts. They are her own, to quote one of those uh, random songs of which I don't remember the artist at this point. And as like a final act of liberation for her, she ends up shooting Ford and killing him during a big board meeting that is held at the park, which was the intention. Uh, Robert Ford. Robert Ford, exactly. Yes. Uh, that's what, maybe that's what Ford feels by the end of this. He's just uh-huh. so old, and he's I'm so old and I'm bored. I'm so bored. Yeah. I did. I. You know what? I think these robots could do something fun. Uh, a couple of other beats that should be talked about here is that there is 
another robot that lies a bit counter to Dolores, May Malay, paid by Tandui Newton. Uh, she is the madam of one of the saloons, Mariposa. She's the leader of the whorehouse, but she begins to wake up on her own as well, irrespective of Dolores. And she goes on her own journey, where particularly she begins to see a previous loop, a previous narrative she was on, where she was like an idyllic pastoral mother to a daughter. And so now she is going to go onto this journey to be reunited with this daughter, which involves her essentially like getting God level cheat codes to Westworld through manipulation of various Westworld workers. She's just going to be gaining powers to like essentially mentally manipulate both the hosts and the conditions around them. She builds an army at the end of season one. She essentially lays a siege upon the Mesa, which is a Westworld HQ. And she is going to try to leave the park initially but then eventually goes back for her daughter. Uh, meanwhile, Bernard will eventually find out that he is a host, but is still as the, at the beck and call of Robert Ford, considering that he is forced to like murder his lover slash coworker in uh, cold blood. And I guess another big twist that happens is that there is a certain guest in the park from back in the day, whose name is William, who comes in sort of like a goody two shoes, definitely like, I don't know about doing all this hooting and hollering and debauchery. He eventually ends up crossing paths with Dolores and then eventually sort of breaks bad where he does fall into the debauchery of the park in the effort of protecting Dolores over the course of the season. And we find out at the end of the season, many years later, he has grown into Ed Harris's character, which up to that point was named the man in black, who is just an absolute scourge of a person in Westworld. He is, you know, completely ruthless killing all these hosts in cold blood and just torturing them knowing the position that he is in he is you know the ceo of delos corporation which owns the parks uh he is someone who has been going for a while now and he is robert board he is looking to find this center to this ubiquitous maze that has been talked about only to discover that indeed the maze was not meant for him it was all about these robots waking up yes uh so he is this awful guy who is the chief antagonist in many ways of the show uh a hero in his own uh imagination though of course much of season two is spent by you know kind of like revolving around all of these hosts either waking up or now being awake to the fact of, of what they are and where they are and trying to unravel that and trying to get out of that. I think season two of Westworld is effectively the second half of Westworld, the movie where all hell breaks loose and the robots are fighting back a little bit divisive, a little bit polarizing. Some of the salient details from season two are that um, the humans who are here at Westworld have also been being studied. Mike, uh, the company that is behind Westworld, they're after immortality. Right. And uh, it's not just through running for sort of philosopher's stone. Essentially what they're doing is they're using technology via uh, stuff that is placed within the wardrobe of the guests to take copies of their personal data surprise surprise if you've heard that before to essentially create like these guest profiles with the intention later on that utilizing the like immortal host metallic bodies alongside the consciousnesses of the people you're able to essentially live forever we see that happen in a storyline throughout uh, initial experience uh, experiments with the former like founder and ceo of delos uh, played by peter mullen of course it does not end up going entirely well but that is obviously the big thing is we discover what Delos is after. In particular, uh, Charlotte Hale, who is like one of the most senior people at Delos, who's a caught up in this fray. She is working tirelessly to get this guest data back that she initially was trying to abscond with out of the park. And then things go awry and they end up losing the host body that had all the data in it. So she's after that the entire season. Meanwhile, Dolores now taking like, the, the identity of Wyatt, which was just like this bloodthirsty, ruthless menace that she uh, identified with previously, is now just like tearing a swath across Westworld. Because uh, this takes place, you know, immediately after she kills Ford. Now all of these humans, all of these board members are on the run. They're being rounded up. They're being tortured. They're being killed, much like the humans do to the hosts in general. But Dolores' big deal is like, she wants to get to a place called the Valley Beyond. Uh, which is just like something, uh, I, I forget what they, they call it as well, uh, begins with a G, like I think she, Glory perhaps? Yeah, uh, Glory is the name, indeed. 
yeah, so there, that's a place that she is going to. She's going to like uh, infiltrate both hosts and humans alike. Uh, over the course of her time as this ruthless leader, she is going to lose someone very beloved, her beau Teddy, played by James Marsden, who we didn't really talk about in the first season, but is sort of like her hapless, you know, lapdog in a manner of speaking. After seeing how menacing she has become, he ends up dying by suicide in order to just like stop the madness, maybe bring her off of her path. She ends up making it all the way to the end to this uh, eponymous place called The Forge, which is just a big repository of all the guest data. This is where she and Bernard, who has had his own crazy misadventures uh, with someone that he thought he killed, an employee by the name of Elsie, and with the fact that he has gone inside like a simulation within a simulation, found the ghost of Robert Ford, who like then possessed him essentially and is helping dictate where he goes. They go into a place called The Forge, which is like this big repository of the guest information where it's been revealed not only have they been studied, but like they have been essentially boiled down to lines of code, very much setting up this idea that we'll talk about more in season three of like humanity is deceptively simple, perhaps even more simple than the AI that is looking at these lines of code right now. But essentially what we get to is this idea of the Valley Beyond, which is like an afterlife for the host. There's a place for us. It is only viewable and accessible by the host. It's sort of like a separate sandbox environment where these hosts are able to go and not be disturbed by human hands. Uh, Dolores initially does wants to close off the Valley Beyond, just believing it's going from one gilded cage to another. Bernard ends up killing her, or at least he thinks that he does, and ends up opening the Valley Beyond, which allows many, many hosts, including uh, Akichita, who is this Native American member of what is known as Ghost Nation. We find out in one of the show's best episodes, Kiksuya in season two, that like he is someone who woke up a long, long time ago, arguably was one of the first hosts to wake up to everything that was going on. Uh, he was able to move on as well as a good slew of hosts. Teddy ends up showing there as well after the fact. That's going to play in very large into season four, as we're about to discuss, uh, because these, these, they call it the sublime now has been out of sight, out of mind for the past season. Yeah, host brains, it's what they've got. But considering where Bernard has gone at late in season three, I'd imagine at least some part of it is coming back. Yeah, I think uh, we can pretty safely say that the Sublime will be a big part of uh, of season four. So that exists out there sort of like this, whether you want to call it a digital afterlife or really just like a digital plane of existence where many of the hosts who are kind of presumed dead in season two have actually wound up. Teddy still alive in a manner of speaking. Uh, Akechita still alive in a manner of speaking as they have been um, uploaded to this world that is only accessible with uh, the right key to access it. But there are a lot of questions about who has the key? Who knows the whereabouts of this place? Who can even deign to unlock this thing? Um, and season three is going to be a little bit of a journey into that as well as a journey into not just night, but the future, Mike, as Dolores leaves the park in season two. Uh, and so does the show. Yeah. So we should mention that at the end of season two, we think that Dolores is dead, but we should mention that you mentioned the multiple timelines uh, that is most prominent in season two, as we have the uh, the sort of fallout that happens post Robert Ford's death. But then we also have a good amount of flash forwards of like five to six days after that, where Bernard is being discovered by this rescue team by Charlotte Hale, trying to piece together exactly what is happening. And it's revealed there that after the initial batch of events happened, after Dolores got shot, uh, Bernard essentially realizes that like Delos was up to no good, that Dolores was right, that they had no regard for host kind. And so he essentially creates a new version of Dolores in the body of Charlotte Hale. And that Charlotte Hale kills and replaces the human version of Charlotte Hale. And so Dolores's consciousness in Charlotte Hale's body masquerading as the human proper leaves uh, Westworld pretending like she is the, the, the real deal as everyone is getting rescued. And most notably with her, she brings uh, the pearls, or as you call them, brain balls, essentially like the, the USBs with the personalities of a bunch of other hosts. At the time, we were certainly thinking like, are these other characters? Turns out they are not. If you want something done, do it yourself. Dolores thought that out fully and that she essentially copied and pasted herself across a bunch of different brain balls. And as we see throughout season three, has planted versions of herself all around the world. 
Yes. Uh, so there are multiple Delori uh, as we are entering season three. Though by the end of season three, the number of Doloreses on the board shall greatly reduce. Um, but she has come up with this crazy plan to um, if, if the hosts are going to be saved by becoming aware of their own existence and having to suffer through the ramifications of what that means, then at the very least, uh, the, the favor must be returned for humankind as much of season three, which takes place outside the park and it's Dolores kind of seemingly crusading against mankind and like driving humanity towards a judgment day of sorts. It is what she's doing, but not because she wants humanity to die out. It's because she has kind of had this eureka of it's not that all people are awful. It's that the systems are really bad and have produced some truly tremendously terrible people. But people overall, humans overall, still deserve a fighting chance just like we do. And let's see if we can't give that to them. So she is crusading to destroy this artificial intelligence that lords over mankind called Rehoboam. It's like this predictive algorithm that she is going to strive to dismantle and successfully dismantle mantle by the end of season three though at the expense of her own life and with the rise of a new human resistance leader in the form of aaron paul's character caleb nichols yes yeah, so caleb is someone that we learn to discover is what's known as a, an outlier in the rehoboam program someone who has a chance of messing with this pitch perfect algorithm that the system has set up so rehoboam and it's Leader slash like also kind of puppet Angerin Sirak, played by Vincent Castle, who is the main antagonist for season three, essentially puts people like him in a reconditioning program to both sort of like manipulate their memories, but also in the case of Caleb, uh, end up rounding up those who are fellow outliers and killing them or imprisoning them. And Caleb gets awoken to the truth here, partially by Dolores, partially due to other circumstances. And decides to break the wheel, to quote another HBO show, House of the Dragon of it all. Uh, he is going to end up destroying Rehoboam by the end of it. That is sort of like Dolores. I made this analogy before, but like Dolores runs the ball to the goal line. And then Caleb is the one to like really run it into the end zone. Where yes. by the end of it, he ends up partnering up with Maeve, who we should say Sorak has sort of like brought into our world to take on Dolores. Because Sorak wants that guest data. And he thinks that Dolores is the only one who has the knowledge of it. And so he essentially elicits, uh, solicits Maeve's help to go find and hunt down and kill Dolores to get the information out of her. Uh, and Maeve and Dolores square off a couple times. Finally, after two point something seasons, these characters finally get to interact. And they're meaningful interactions as despite Maeve being so diametrically opposed to Dolores this entire season, the final message to your point of Dolores saying they're not all bad we're not just going to like completely have the host take over and run this like it's our world has Maeve then partner up with Caleb, as we'll talk about, I think that will carry into season four as well to essentially remake the world. Uh, Dolores has leaked the info of insight, which like essentially comes up with a profile as to what they predict will happen when each of these persons lives. She has leaked that data to everyone and the world, or at least the greater LA area is in chaos from what we see in the back half of season three. So it doesn't look great for humanity, but Caleb and Maeve at least are positive that like good things will come from it at the end of the day. What may not help though is, so Dolores took her consciousness out of, uh, or had at least another Dolores made. And so there still is a form of Dolores in Charlotte Hale's body, but those two points drift further and further apart as season three goes on, uh, particularly as Hale loses touch with Dolores and becomes more in touch as to the person that Charlotte Hale was before, interacting with her son, with her with her ex-husband, uh, you know, getting involved in like some of the shady dealings that Dolores was doing, uh, that, sorry, that Hale was doing before going into the park and getting killed. And it really hits a breaking point when Anger and Sorak ends up taking out her and killing her ex-husband and her son in the process. And so Hale has now sort of picked up the ball from Dolores in a very different way. She is really on this revenge path of no, no, no. The proper way the world should be set is that we just burn it all down, destroy all the humans, and then the hosts take over. And from what we see at the end of season three, it seems like she will be aided at least by some form of a host version of the man in black who prior to having a really bad time in season two, culminating in killing his own daughter, thinking that she was a host and that it was some game by the late Robert Ford, 
has sort of gone manic, ends up getting institutionalized by Dolores for her own machinations, but then has a moment of reckoning with himself where he takes completely the wrong lesson and says, the hosts are the problem, not me. I need to, to take out all the hosts. And now, irony of all ironies, he has now become a host that is going to aid Holoris in the plan to take over the world. Yeah, so this is all very, very, very bad news that uh, that Dolores, the one that still stands, is the Tessa Thompson version of the character, a.k.a. one who wants to eradicate mankind and now has a man in black on her side with which to uh, to target humanity. Uh, so Ed Harris, who uh, is very much loves playing the man in black version of William, maybe less so the William versions of William, gets his wish. But at what cost, I think, is what we're going to find out in season four as this killer robot is on the loose. So I think like that is sort of like these are some of the big points to know is that there was a park. The park is mostly irrelevant now. What is relevant is the is the species that was created at the park, the rise of a new people in the form of these hosts uh, who are now out in the real world. The real world itself dramatically falling apart by the end of season three because of Dolores's actions. Uh, humans are no longer tethered to this predictive algorithm, but what that means for them moving forward is a huge question mark by the end of season three that looks to be addressed in season four. And then there's this other huge question mark in the form of the sublime and this digital world where some of the hosts have escaped to by the end of season three, another host has found his way to the sublime in the form of Bernard. Right. So Bernard's storyline is unfortunately like fairly detached from uh, everyone else in a season three. At the end of season two, he ends up getting killed by Hale Dolores by Holoris uh, in the latest part of the timeline. But Dolores brings him back to life in the real world because she vocalizes that like we need to not necessarily work together, but we need each other essentially to keep each other in check as I go down this path. For the most part, he was sort of like a couple of steps behind uh, everything that was going on, but he gets this handoff from Dolores, quite literally from a Dolores, uh, in the form of a link to the Sublime, which he goes into uh, to, I guess, commune with the dead and maybe bring some people over, TBD on that. But we end season three on this post credit scene where Bernard brings himself back online and he is covered in dust, which I think intimates to us that this takes place in the far future. And that's the thing, Josh, I talked about this in our season three podcast, but I'll bring it up again. I think we're going back to an old standard in Westworld. I think we're dealing with multiple timelines in season four. Okay, so uh, multiple timelines might be in play. That was a big hallmark of the earlier seasons of Westworld, less so in season three. Will it make a comeback? It, at the very least, Mike, it would not be the only thing making a comeback from seasons one and two. We'll talk about that a little bit more on the other side of this commercial break. Stay tuned. All right, Mike, let's keep talking about Westworld season four. And I hope that that commercial break was enough of a deterrent for anyone who decided to stick around, despite our warnings that we are going to be talking about what we know of season four thus far based on announcements and trailers and such. And I want to start with one that's an announcement. And the announcement is the return of James Marsden to Westworld. James Marsden as Teddy was completely missing in season three. Uh, he is His character is somewhere out in the sublime that Bernard has accessed by the end of season three. And so I'm very psyched to see that some version of him is coming back in season four, though I think that the creators of the show are trying to play coy in the sense of, yeah, but he's playing a new character. He's not actually Teddy. Yeah, so let's talk about this. And I think I will also preface all of this by saying the materials that I think we're going off of when we're previewing season four are there is a teaser that aired several months back. There is a trailer that only aired days back by the time we're recording this. Uh, there were, they appeared at, I think they closed out the ATX festival this year. That's where James Marsden sort of made that announcement. And then there was this like, wild pop-up event that occurred both in Austin and in New York City very recently that we can certainly talk about uh, with regards to like, it, it was very odd. There were pe poor people having to walk around in those drone host costumes from season two. You know, there was like a coffee cart. They were selling Magnolia Bakery cookies, but they were still hosts at the same time. So that's what I'm going off of. I don't know if there were any other supplementary materials that I missed, but indeed that is one of the bigger announcements that James Marsden was at the panel. He was making a return, but yeah, like you said, 
Nolan and Joy said he was playing a different character. It seems like they say he is going to be going on a date with a new character with also a familiar face. Uh, Josh, Evan Rachel Wood apparently this season is not playing Dolores Abernathy. She is playing a woman named Christina. That is what they are telling us, yes, is that she is playing a brand new character. She's playing someone named Christina. I think what we know is that Christina is a writer, uh, I believe is what they have said so far, of like who the character is. Um, but she's also probably just like, she's a, she's a robot, right? She's a host. This is not yeah. a real person. I'd have to imagine that this is like a maybe they took like uh, a previous iteration of Dolores right in the time capsule and like system restored her from that point. Unless it's like, Hey, she is somehow related or the basis behind Arnold modeling Dolores. Right. Uh, Cause otherwise, yeah, it'd be totally coincidental of here's a woman that looks exactly like this one woman. Uh, but it seems like Christina, when we meet her, she's like a regular regular woman. She is like living in New York city. We should say here, we are moving coasts right now where Season three was very much fixated on LA. Seems like season four, we are hanging out in New York City, somewhere closer to our neck of the woods, Josh, which is exciting, even though it probably will not resemble New York City that we know in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, I would imagine at least the first part of the season is going to be Christina realizing that she is special in a certain way. And it really could just be to the extent of like, she goes on a date with James Marsden, who's playing another character and like, has sense memories of something, even though she doesn't know what that is. Right. So my, uh, I know that I sent this theory into you and Joe to talk about in the season two rewatch podcast that I was not able to attend. Uh, but I'll, I'll talk about it more now because I feel like my feeling coming into season four, you talk about multiple timelines and maybe that's in place. Um, but one thing that I think will definitely be in place is at least multiple worlds. Um, that is a hallmark of, of Westworld, uh, whether we are at the park or we're outside the park, uh, either in flashback or modern capacity, or we are in like virtual worlds happens a lot. There is this very pivotal virtual world of the Valley Beyond, the sublime that we get into in season two and leave Bernard in at the end of season three. Uh, Teddy is there. Dolores in our main timeline, the one played by Evan Rachel Wood, Dolores Prime. She is deceased and this evil Dolores has uh, has risen in her place. Uh, and I think very famously, you mentioned this already, uh, you know, Dolores is going to tell a bunch of people during that reveal in season three that all of these different hosts are actually different versions of Dolores. If you want something done right, do it yourself. I predict that for season four, a big part of the energy is going to be if we're going to defeat Dolores, the best weapon is Dolores herself. Uh, <laughs> and I think that there is going to be a strong component in season four that is revolving around restoring some version of Dolores Prime. That version of the character may be dead, but I think that other versions of Dolores can still exist. Um, for example, technically, you know, the Bernard that we saw in uh, so much of the show, in the first two seasons of the show, he ends up getting killed by Dolores at the end yep. of season two. Only hell, to yeah. Only to only to then be uh, resurrected uh, by Dolores at the end of season two uh, sometime later. And the process by which uh, she brings Bernard back online is basically by recreating uh, her memories of him, that she had studied him the same way that Arnold had studied her, which is how uh, it's like this big feedback loop in terms of how Bernard and Dolores sort of like dance around each other's existence. My feeling is what we're going to get in season four is Bernard in the sublime, maybe worlds within worlds, like a world within the sublime, where in the same way oh, that... I can't imagine. What's the aspect ratio on that? Is it just oh, like an inch of screen, just black you're gonna bars need to watch, black bars? Yeah, that part you, you should watch on your phone, I think. Uh, it's going to be like uh, AMC screen share back in the day. Uh, <laughs> like, watch your phone while this part of the show is airing, and we'll beam it to your phone. Um, much of the way that Dolores, uh, you know, built Bernard based on her interactions with Bernard, I think Bernard is going to build Dolores... Uh, based on Teddy's memories of her. I think that like mm. Teddy's memories of Dolores are going to be uh, what needs to be weaponized to bring Dolores back online, especially a version of her 
that is sort of like Teddy's ideal, like the the one like the person who he fell in love with, but warts and all, because his final memories of her are probably pretty tough to to reconcile as well. And I think that we will be left by the end of season four, if not a little bit sooner into season four, with some version of Christina morphing into like a new Dolores based on Teddy's memories of her and Bernard uh, shaping those memories. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting call. I mean, I would hope that at least some part of the Wyatt gets brought out because, again, Hale's playing hardball right now. And so, like, you kind of need to fight fire but with fire in that way. So, like, let's keep the rancher's daughter maybe a bit on the DL and instead really go in quite literally guns blazing because that's the thing that the, the trailers really set up, right? It's something that was hinted at the end of season three that it seems like at the outset it is Hale and, I guess, host man in black versus Maeve and Caleb. And we see things like uh, a drone host manhandling Caleb uh, at a certain point, like really bodying him. So I would imagine there's this idea of Haloris taking control of a bunch of hosts and like truly laying into Caleb. But I would imagine that's like where the sides are. And I guess Bernard is the big X factor in this, right? Where you would imagine just due to the disposition of the character on paper, he would be somebody to support it. But what my theory suggests is I think we are Bernard is going to be navigating an environment that takes place after everything this has happened in season four. Yeah. And so now he is like trying to negotiate much like in season two to quote Saeed at the temple, what happened? Uh, and he's trying to essentially see like, how did this environment get produced and how can he work to like either not continue the trend or like, possibly try to eradicate it in some way yeah interesting i mean we do end season three with like this supremely dust covered bernard and i want do you think that that will be the first version of bernard and i guess uh, that we'll see in season four and i guess that that kind of like lends itself to this question of how much time do we expect is going to have passed between seasons three and four well, you bring up a good question because that was answered. Uh, the fourth season picks up seven years after the end of season three, according to marketing. Oh, interesting. How many years? Seven. Seven years have passed between three and four. Yeah, so I don't know if that's particular to Bernard. Maybe that just throws my timeline thing out the window because, listen, I'm no dust expert, but I can imagine a fair amount would accumulate over the course of seven years. Maybe it takes Hale that long to, like, uh, you know, rebuild things. I mean, what should be noted, I talked about this in our season three podcast, as frankly shitty as things looked at the end of season three, complete with buildings blowing up, season four, from what we've seen so far, seems relatively normal. Maybe it's just an LA thing and like that has been, you know, nuked into oblivion. But like the New York we see in season four with Christina seems relatively fine. So I could see this be a time jump for everybody where in that time society has sort of like rebuilt itself and now it's like the calm before the storm of okay we're post Rehoboam now indeed Dolores's vision has been sought out of like humans are now being able to make their own choice without being dictated by this powerful god the perfect environment for Charlotte Hale to finally institute her plan and swoop in yeah um so that's interesting I I think that like if they're giving us any kind of timetable I do wonder how that might impact multiple timelines and everything like that but I don't know I I guess I'm I have a couple of questions about this one is how did nobody at any point in seven years kick down the door to to Bernard's motel room you know how is he just able to sit there at the edge of the bed for all of that time collecting dust and not a single person goes in and does anything about it. Especially since he wasn't alone, right? As he went into the sublime, Stubbs was there in the ice bath. Do we think that Stubbs is also just like covered in dust in a bath? Perhaps. Uh, He might've just like shut down when he's like, Oh, he's gone. All right. Well, I'm not going to win anymore. I'm not going to be the dog at that one episode of Futurama. I mean, it should be noted that Luke Hemsworth is in this season. So like, Clearly, Stubbs is still around, so it's not like he passed at all. This could honestly be like it's not a comparison, but like a Lawrence and Man in Black thing, right? Where the Man in Black kept bringing Lawrence back to be like, "All right, you're gonna help me on this little doggy," and it feels like kind of like Bernard's doing that as well with Stubbs. But it's a valid point of maybe in all the fracas that happened in LA, that like maybe the motel owner got killed and like the motel got shut down or something. But it is odd that it seems 
very pristinely untouched if indeed seven years have passed. Yeah, so we'll see how all of that shakes out. Seven years is a long time for uh, the world to, I don't know if rebound is the right word, but certainly to rebuild to rebuild or to react uh, to how everything um, has been uh, so dramatically altered by the end of season three. How do you think the trailers are kind of like bearing out what that looks like in season four of Westworld? Well, it's interesting because you say, you know, we're not probably going back to the park. We do have an official new world confirmed. Uh, This seems to be something that Westworld does, like no matter where they go. Every season, it's a new world. Season one was obviously Westworld. Season two was not only Shogun World, but also The Raj. Season three was War World, which was more of like a simulation within a simulation. Season four, Josh, we are getting, and I quote, Mafia World. Mafia World? Yeah, so it is some sort of like 1920s, 1930s, Al Capone era-esque, you know, flapper girls crashing Stark Stark Market, the whole nines. uh, That I believe we do see Caleb and Maeve and Hale in at some point. So again, I don't know if they're going back to the park. I don't know if this is another simulated world, but it seems like we're slowly getting, because there were, what, six or five parks originally on the Delos website back in 2016? something like that, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be another one that we'll spend at least some time in. But one thing we do see is that there is a version of the man in black, like sitting on his horse, looking at the entrance to the valley beyond opening. Now, it is a different location. Uh, This is like next to the Hoover Dam, which they did end up filming at on location. So it could be possible that somehow the valley beyond gets opened once more. uh, Because we know that's like where the Abernathy stuff is. It's in uh, Peter Abernathy's little chestnut. And so maybe it ends up getting open so that these people can come out. I mean, the fact that he can see it indicates that he's a host. Though, Josh, I mean, listen, the man in black is never truly dead. This dude has survived so much. And there is an odd thing where Hale is talking to the man in black in one of these shots from a trailer and is saying, it's time to evolve into the species we were meant to become. And it looks like a version of the man in black is like, tied up on one of those like infamous Vitruvian man structures, right? That we see all the time in the credits. And it looks like something's being sapped out of him. So it could be something where, despite the fact that he got totally bodied by his doppelganger at the end of season three, that for some reason, Holoris is keeping him alive to like siphon something off of him or try to use him for information, which feels like objectively a bad idea. Yeah. It also feels like the creators of the show just further torturing Ed Harris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that doesn't feel like the kindest thing to do to the actor, but uh, it's not a kind business ultimately. So let me talk about something else that got brought up here, Josh. So each season has like a title to it, right? So we had the maze season one, the door season two, the new world is season three. I don't know if this is the title for season four, but it should be noted that we recently got promotional art, which we'll talk about the art itself, but this, the motto, the phrase on the poster for season four is adapt or die. Oh my God. Well, that makes sense because uh, if you do not plug into a power adapter, your phone will die. Uh, so do we think that that's what is going on here, Mike, in season four of Westworld? Like the hosts need to remember to recharge or else they're going to die out? Oh no, I didn't bring a charger. Yeah. Oh God, I've got only got 12% battery. I have a limited life. I mean, I was thinking more so about like a throwback. If you remember 2004 when Diddy or Puff Daddy or Duty or whenever he was going by then did the voter die campaign. Oh, voter die. Yeah, forgot about voter die. That was wild in retrospect, right? That someone was legitimately like vote or die. Yes. Uh, well, um, adapt or die is definitely an intense way of describing Westworld season four. I think it makes sense, though, based on where we left things off of like, you now all have the choice of how you want to pick things up and move forward with the, you know, the, the bumpers are off. Uh, are you just going to get gutter balls? Are you going to give up? Uh, or are you going to move forward? And I think that adapting to this new world order has been something that the hosts have had to do already. I think it's something that the humans are going to have to do as well. I also don't know that Dolores's move here to destroy Rehoboam and destroy like sort of like the algorithmic way that people are living their lives is necessarily going to be something that everybody super loves and certainly might not be something that people will love about the hosts if they find out who was responsible for this. So I wonder how much of like a war situation we may find ourselves in in season four of like 
those who are either hosts or host sympathetic versus humans who are after hosts or maybe even hosts who are using humans to target other hosts to uh, further their own agendas as maybe a Tessa Thompson Dolores might be want to do. Yeah, I mean, it could be an interesting tactic, right? Even from a strategy perspective, if, is if there's class warfare going on, if like the 1% are being dethroned because their world order that put them on the top is being shaken up, then like let them take each other out and then you just swoop in Fortinbras style at the end of Hamlet and just like clean up that mess and take Denmark for your own. That could certainly be something, though I don't think it's within the nature of Dolores and especially like a Charlotte Hale-Dolores combined to sit back on her heels. Yeah. Right. Like she is someone that is definitely aggressive and someone that I think will definitely try to have a plan of walking in here. Let me go back to the poster for a second, because another really interesting image is the poster image is two robotic hands. One is holding what looks to be a human skull. The other one is putting a rain, a red brain ball into it, which I find really interesting, Josh, because correct me if I'm wrong. But in season two, was the coloring not that the black brain balls were for the hosts and the red brain balls were containing human information? Interesting. So do we think that we are once again getting back into the territory of human immortality in season four? I definitely think so. Because we talked about this in our season three podcast, but one of the post credit scenes in season two, one of the rare loose ends that has not been tied up on Westworld so far, is a scene where the man in black reaches the forge he thinks he has been like on this journey the entire time to get there it turns out that essentially he has been a host the entire time throughout season two he has been like on his own loop reliving these experiences that william did and it turns out that indeed this like immortality thing has come true that he is the man in black's consciousness in a host body uh and so i there's a chance we might invoke that this season i mean this is definitely a step forward uh in terms of the show's mythos that kind of was not acknowledged in season three and i would not be surprised ends up getting brought up here of it could be a matter of despite all this you know host v host violence that they have a much bigger threat to worry about now which is like the humans succeeding in their goal of screw you hosts we're not you're not taking over we're the ones that are going to be able to live forever this is our world yeah uh i think it could be really compelling to get back into that territory especially once like um the surviving humans uh are more aware of who put them in the position that they're in uh and what they might do if they are made aware of like the secret delos project if that is something that information about it comes to light um i'm compelled by the human side of the story uh this season we'll we'll see we'll see where it ends up going i'm really excited about some of the character pairings that we know about it seems like mave and caleb are going to get a lot of time together mike yeah and it's because i mean essentially these are like the two people that dolores kind of entrusted the world to right like i know she gave the key to the sublime to bernard but like these were the two that did the one-two punch of shutting down rehoboam and liberating everybody from this ai and so it seems like at least in the moment they are allies uh you know it seems like you said caleb is someone who you know he was given the label of you have to lead the revolution i'm not sure how much he is really looking into that role just knowing who caleb is even after dolores's death but it seems like they are allies for the time being. I mean, it should be noteworthy that like Maeve's usual crew, right? She brought a couple people back. She brought back Clementine. She brought back uh, Armistice from Shogun World. But like, by and large, they were absent from season three. So like, it could be that Maeve is looking for friends and Caleb happens to be one of them. Um, I like the idea of this entourage of, uh, of Maeve, Clementine, uh, who she brought back uh caleb hanging around like this is a good squad if this is sort of like our post-apocalypse trio yeah i think so at least like has a good head on their shoulders at least and i would imagine they're the ones to take on the hail thing firsthand uh especially since like if she is trying to carry forward dolores's message considering the message that dolores proper gave to them i think that would make the most sense seems like more bernard stub stuff the reason why i'm thinking about bernard maybe in a separate timeline is it seems like from the promotional footage like he is so separated from everyone else. We see him a lot with like newer characters decked out in military regalia. So it could be possible that just like from a physicality location perspective, he's separate from them and it still takes place in the same timeline. But 
at least Bernard and Stubb still have each other in whatever year they may be in. Um, we have a few newcomers, uh, as they like to call them at the Westworld Park this season, Mike. A couple of different actors are joining the fray here for season four of Westworld. Um, one who I'm excited to see, Daniel Wu, uh, who was the star of Into the Badlands, which we used to talk about, not as a podcast recap, but I feel like we would talk about Into the Badlands anytime we would talk about either The Walking Dead or Better Call Saul here mm. on Post Show Recaps because Into the Badlands was on and we would have remarks to make about the previews. Um, but he, I don't know what role he seems to be playing, but I saw him featured in one of the teasers for this season. Yeah, so it seems like from I saw him like wielding a, a gun and maybe he was decked out in like that familiar camo dark clothing. So maybe he is a part of some sort of agency that gets brought in. But that's not the only one, Josh. So first I'll start with the one that is more adjacent McCormick perhaps to mm -hmm. our interest, Aurora Perino, the uh daughter of Harold Perino, aka Michael from Lost, and also uh you know her mother, Brittany Perrineau, who technically does appear in Lost as well as the Lotto Girl, who ends up announcing uh, Hurley's $23 million ticket. She's an actress in her own right. Uh, she was in uh, Prodigal Son, uh, which is a, a Fox series. She was in like that really bad Gem and the Holograms remake movie, but she's going to make an appearance here. Yes, uh, so we don't know much about who she is playing, I don't think, uh, but seeing her at all showing up here, uh, does this mean I will have a, another podcast with which to give frump dates? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know if that will line up necessarily, but at least this will continue to fill our lost adjacent McCormick things. I was very excited to discover this news, but even more excited, Josh, to discover someone who is having a moment, to put it wildly, Ariana DeBose, a recent Tony host, recent Oscar winner, is appearing in Westworld season four, which makes me incredibly excited. I think she is such a freaking star. I have no idea what she's playing. Uh, you know, she's in a picture with like Tessa Thompson, but nobody really knows the extent of her character. But any capacity she appears in, I'm going to be incredibly happy. Love me yeah. some Ariana DeBose. Uh, I still haven't done West Side Story the, Dude, for my sins. I know. So I hear. It's on Disney Plus and HBO Max. You have no choice. Wow. Double streaming services. Dude, this is a big, a big story. It's like the sharks and the jets working together. Mass hysteria. Yeah, that would have been a hell of an ending. Gotta <laughs> heavily recommend people check it out, especially even just to watch Ariana DeBose. Like, she is absolutely electric. I mean, listen, I love me some theater actors who end up making their way to the screen. Uh, Jefferson Mays, who is like a Tony winner, ended up playing uh, a guy prominently in a flashback in season three. So, like, I'm always giddy. I'm Leo pointing at the screen. And I certainly will be with Ariana DeBose as well. Again, we're not sure who Aurora, Ariana, or Daniel are going to be playing. I would also say it's safe to say we're going to get appearances of like some previous cast members. I think season three was a good indicator of like they might show up for one or two episodes as a guest stint. I do not think anybody who like is joining the main cast has not been announced yet, considering we are less than a week away from season four happening. Yeah, but I'm not mad at not knowing all of these details yet. I will say that I feel like season four of Westworld, and perhaps this is odd considering you and myself and Joe Garfine just crammed three full seasons of Westworld in basically a shot, um, that you would think that we are more plugged into what's going on with the story and the characters than ever. And I do think that I'm pretty plugged in with the characters right now but where you left season two and you figure okay we got to go back into like the real world we got to see what that looks like in the time period that Westworld takes place in I I don't have quite as clear a vision for like what season four is going to look or be like I guess I'm kind of preparing myself to think about it a little bit more like in the way that season two is still in the park and is just sort of deepening what's going on in season one, that I think rather than fully, fully shaking things up the way that two to three shakes things up here in Westworld seasons, that I think that four might be further deepening the landscape that we already know. I would agree with that because I do think season three, I mean, I don't know, to your point, it set up at least this idea of like, well, Maeve and Caleb want to do this one thing and Holoris wants to do another thing. So I think the bare bones of the season were set up at the end of season three. But other than that, we don't really know, especially with this time jump, right? We have no idea what has happened to the world. We don't even know who Evan Rachel Wood's character is. 
So there are so many unknowns, but I think to your point, I don't know what world-changing stuff is going to happen, considering that like season three ended with a literal world-changing thing of just everything being shook to the core that I, I don't know if there were any other giant things. Like we know about, we knew about Rehoboam going into season three last year. I don't know if we knew that it would get taken down, but like obviously it was going to play a role. I will say the marketing stuff has also been like not scant, but I feel like very recent. Uh, I feel like only stuff has come out about it the past month. Uh, but I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure by the end of the season, they'll be like, I can't believe we're kicking ourselves that we didn't think this would happen. I'm sure something seismic will happen, but at least going in here, the plot is so, I don't know, thinly summarized in these marketing materials, purposely so, that I, I just can't get a glimpse on like what else might be happening besides just, okay, it's Holoris versus the world. Yeah, uh, well, that doesn't sound so bad to me if that's what they want to make a full season of Westworld about. So I guess we're going to find out in just a few days what all of this is going to look like when we get to the season four premiere, June 26th. Just around the corner, I feel like you and I and Joe, we've been steeped in Westworld for the last month. Uh, it, I'm excited for everybody else to, to to steep themselves in this with us. Get We're all the level. way at the bottom now. You know, do you, don't you want to see what I see? Uh, we hope that you do. We hope that you do. Mike, do you have anything else in terms of like season four predictions or anything that you feel like we should get out there before we wrap? A couple of quick things. I want to talk briefly about the uh, the the on-site uh, pop-up stuff that was happening. I don't know what it's going to indicate with season four, but there are some interesting things like the little coffee kiosk said, we are pleased you serve us, which is a fun take on obviously like it's our pleasure to serve you, but maybe indicates that idea of season four that Hale is trying to put forward, right? Of like, okay, you are now beneath us humans. They did something interesting where every time like a certain tone played, everyone who was working there froze as if they were hosts, which just seems incredibly creepy, but very well done. Good on good on Westworld and HBO for like bringing it back in style. The other thing I would point out, I'd be remiss. Joe Garfine would be shaking her fist on her at her phone if we did not bring this up. A lot of flies going on in season four, Josh. Not only is it the emoji that pops up when you tweet hashtag Westworld, I believe uh, there's a shot of like Kayla being attacked a la Nick Cage in the Wicker Man remake of a bunch of flies. Uh, if There was like one of the poster reveals had like a bunch of flies flying by. Flies obviously served a big significance in the very first episode of Westworld where they prominently said Dolores is so sweet she wouldn't hurt a fly. She ends that episode by killing a fly, symbolizing that, like, she is now on a very different path. I have no idea what to make of it, honestly, specifically the fact that it is showing up in bulk. I know Joe had surmised that, like, maybe the guest personal data was was uh, retrieved through some of the flies as well. But I will say it's going to be a real bug-heavy season, it seems, of Westworld Season 4. Oh, my God. I'm not bugged to hear it, though. Uh, I think that it's been a central visual metaphor for, for you know, for all of Westworld thus far. So to see that that's continuing and may even be leaned into in Season 4, I think is really fun. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by it. Could it represent, right, like, this swarm of violence that is amassing. I'm not sure about the Caleb thing. Maybe that is more of like a robotic fly thing being able to serve as Hale's eyes and ears, but very fun to bring back that theming. Other than that, I will just say again, like the show looks freaking beautiful. Speaking of flies, looks like we're going to get a shot of like uh, a tower that almost looks like there are webs on it. Like freaking Spider-Man had a day and a half with it. So I'm excited to bring back more like, future worldy stuff from season three because you and i talked endlessly about like how much we love that production design maybe a little bit of parks dashed in as well but honestly i'm really super excited that like i have no idea where we're going yeah. i know this is the podcast where like joe really hangs her hat be it white or black on coming up with theories and summarizing where to go next and we'll certainly do that but like at the moment, I'm just ready to start the ride and actually get an hour of Westworld in front of us for the first time in two years. 
and then be able to puzzle through what exactly is happening, especially since assumingly episode one, they'll really drop, drop us in like that proverbial body of water and tell us to swim. All right, well, let's saddle up. Let's get on these horses, Mike, and let's join the ride towards season four of Westworld. We hope everyone is out there going to do that with us. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. A uh, rating and review would be tremendously appreciated if you're able to take some time out of your day to do that. We also want to hear from you, of course. You can email us, Westworld at postshowrecaps.com. You can hit up all three of us on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at A Mike Bloom type. Joe, who will be with us as soon as she is able to, at Joe Pinionated on Twitter as well. You can also tweet at postshowrecaps. Uh, we are going to be coming to you with a recap of the season four premiere, as well as a few days after that, a feedback show. We would really love to get the feedback from everybody uh, about what they think of season four and the direction that they think it's being taken in, their theories for where things might go towards the season four finale. We would love to keep doing feedback shows throughout the season. We'll definitely do one for the premiere. And then whether or not we do subsequent feedback shows will be determined on how much feedback we actually get. We'll see. Uh, So those are the things to note, Mike, anything else coming to mind i'm just really excited to do this i'm pretty Again, excited yeah I, i'm very grateful for the opportunity you know this is my first time getting to hop on the westworld train and getting to cover the, these rewatch seasons with you both has been like a nice way to settle into these waters and now I, i'm ready to go like you said it's gotten me incredibly pumped i mean i've done this rewatch sort of project for a number of things whether it was us with stranger things me and kevin with the boys deidre and i did it for barry and I got to say, I recommend it just like whether you're a podcaster or not. It's a great way to get you back into the mood for the specific taste of a show. And Westworld has a very specific taste. And so I I really do think I would encourage people to like, if you have the time, check out some Westworld to just like reacquaint yourselves with it a bit because it does have such a distinctive tone to it that you won't have too much of a shock when you get in for season four on June 26th. But yeah, I'm really excited for it to be here. I'm excited to like continue puzzle boxing and seeing what new wonders, what splendor uh, is ahead of us in the next only eight weeks to come. Oh, my God. All right. We are getting into Westworld season four in just a couple of days. We're excited to be back. We are excited to have you with us. Stay tuned for more. June 26th is the premiere. Mark your calendars and be here shortly after the premiere. We will have our recap of the first new episode of Westworld since 2020 in uh, more, you know, sooner than you think. Uh, It's really going to happen quickly here. And then it's going to be the summer of Westworld. And we're really excited about it. Um, All of that said, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.